Hey everyone and welcome to the 38th, 38th Digital Foundry Direct Weekly. It's our weekly show where we talk about the latest tech and gaming news and on the roster this week. First of all, Tom Morgan, hello. Always a pleasure. Hello. Let's see how long that pleasure will continue. Um, <laughs> and uh, also joining me, Alex Batalia. And this time, Rich, the pleasure is all mine. Hey everyone. That sounded almost sinister. Uh, <laughs> But yes, lots to talk about this week, lots of uh, big events and celebrations, and well, let's get on with it. First news topic of the week, Xbox 20, a celebratory event which is, unsurprisingly, talking about 20 years of Microsoft Xbox. Uh, lovely half an hour show there, lots to talk about. Alex, let's go to you first. What caught your eye? Uh, well, I think the backwards compatibility titles were the first things that I thought about uh, when watching this over because the Xbox backwards compatibility program has been one of the best things that Microsoft has done in the last decade, I would say, ever since they brought it out on the original Xbox One. It had a rocky launch, I would say, in terms of performance, but then, you know, they changed their testing methodology and all these other things, and they really brought it up into a state where you can finally play a large portion of the Xbox catalog dating back to the original Xbox over 20 years ago, and they just added a whole bunch of titles, uh, 70 new according to the listing here. We haven't had much time to test any of them. I'm pretty sure John has, though. He looked at uh, Ridge Racer. Uh, I know that for a fact, as well as uh, Sonic. It's not Colors, was it? Was it Sonic Colors? No, it's, uh, we had two uh, Xbox releases. Sonic, Sonic Unleashed uh, upgraded to 720p60 via backwards compatibility and FPS boost. But I think the big one that John wants to talk about um, is Sonic Generations, which has been upgraded to run at native 4K resolution, Series X, 1440p Series S, and 60 frames per second. So, you know, this kind of like the unicorn that we've been waiting for, which is, you know, basically combining FPS boost with um, the resolution boost as well. It, it can be done. There it is. And um, there were some other titles as well. I did take a passing look at uh, Mirror's Edge, for example. Uh, this is also uh, now running at 4K60. A few frame drops, but nothing to be that concerned about. Uh, Fable Anniversary is another, uh, which is an interesting example, I think, of a game that has aged quite badly and the resolution boost and frame rate boost actually kind of serve to highlight the dated mechanics somewhat. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, this is really interesting. I mean, I, I was kind of taken aback by uh, what they did there and some really good releases there. Gears 3, um, I think all of the Gears games are running at 60 now, but Gears 3, yeah, Gears 3, 1440p 60, uh, which is which is pretty awesome. That game still holds up beautifully. Lots in that back compat lineup. Tom, any thoughts on this? Absolutely. I mean, there's a couple here that stand out right away. Alan Wake, despite a remaster coming out, there's, yes. <laughs> they, they thought, let's give the people, you know, a way to play the original game as well, <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's some big ones like uh, Elder Scrolls for Oblivion is a, a That's also a 61, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a huge release and um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, it's given more people more ways to play if they don't fancy playing like uh, the remasters or uh, the re-envisionings that they've uh, they've made for a lot of these titles since they've got a, a proper way to enjoy the 
the way it was originally meant to be played, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Another curious thing, I think, was Far Cry 3, which did receive an HD remaster, 60 frames per second, but now you can play the original at 60 frames per second. Uh, so <laughs> some sort of curious anomalies in that lineup there, but I'm loving it. I'm loving the, uh, the fact that we're able to go back to these older games, a lot of really good games in there, and um, play them at enhanced resolutions and frame rates. And I'm sure Alex is sitting there thinking, yeah, my PC's been doing that <laughs> for decades. It does feel but a bit funny and so, for some of these titles, uh, specifically like the Fallout ones and, you know, your Elder Scrolls Oblivion, which have been, you know, super high res and high frame rate forever. But for other ones, like I do see Gears of War 2 on there uh, and Gears of War 3, and those games are not on PC at all. And they've been lamenting in 30 FPS territory for an eternity now. Uh, that's really awesome. I would love to go through them and see if there's any issues at all. I know there probably isn't because the BC team is really good at catching this kind of things, but those games have only ever been 30 FPS. Even though they're Unreal Engine, you know, you, there can still sometimes be issues. Yeah, also Oblivion, I think that's 1800p60, but um, you always got the resolution boost with the Xbox, the OG Xbox One back compat titles, but now we're seeing that you can have FPS boost on there. And I think one of the big key takeaways, a kind of bittersweet moment, is that these games that have been added to the back compat library are the last. They have no plans to add any more. Um, and to all intents and purposes, the news headlines that are coming out from that is that it's the end of the of the kind of back compat program. Uh, which is sad, but I don't think there was any announcement that it's the end of the FPS Boost program. So the concept of going back to those Xbox uh, and Xbox 360 games and running them at 60 frames per second or even 120, I think that would be awesome. So um, I really hope that the compatibility team uh, continue to improve those older games. Uh, I just wanted to talk a bit more about some of the other stuff that was at the event um, got a nice roundup here from purexbox.com. Uh, the, the URL stood out to me. It's pure Xbox. There is zero chance that I will find any PlayStation content here <laughs> if they live up to their brand values. Uh, but um, yeah, interesting stuff here. A sort of roundup of the 30 minutes of content. Uh, they don't mention The Rock's uh, hilarious cameo. That was funny. Uh, it was, that was, was a highlight. Good. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, I thought. Um, but yeah, Tom, there's this uh, six-part documentary on the history of Xbox launching this December. What do you reckon about that? The whole 30-minute presentation uh, made me really nostalgic for Xbox in the weirdest way, because I never thought it would be possible, but they've, I think it's a real testament to how they've uh, stuck it out since uh, they kicked off with the Xbox 20 years ago and you know just kept plugging away until they've uh, found a way to... I don't know, become become a, a giant in the in this in the uh, industry, and in doing that, they've got enough of a story to tell about their rise through the years. Um, and the six part documentary, it really uh, whipped through like the, the the sort of trailer for it really like was heavily cut into shape to just get give you a flavour of what to expect. And one of the things they noted was, uh, you know, they're going to cover the Red Ring of Death uh, sort of saga with the Xbox 360's um, sort of, uh, yeah, Dare. conking yeah. out, let's say, after... Um, <laughs> Con conking yeah. out? Yeah. Conking is that a technical term? That's the technical <laughs> term. Um, it, uh, yeah, but I mean, it, I found it really interesting that they're going to actually get a bit, sort of, get their hands dirty a little bit, just a little bit, 
to acknowledge that that happened. And um, they're going to probably do it in a very sort of, you know, corporate way where it's like, oh, well, you know, you know, we've learned from our mistakes and all mistakes were made. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, still, it'll be interesting to maybe hear a little bit of insight as to what happened, what were the thoughts internally about uh, what was going on. And uh, yeah, go from there. And who knows, there might, might be a few other nuggets in there too. Interesting stuff. So back in the day when all of this was kicking off, I was actually running a PlayStation magazine and uh, one of my friends uh, joined Microsoft and I was you know, saying to him, why, why have you put an Ethernet port on this thing? Nobody's going to use it. Um, this was kind of like in the period, especially in the UK, where broadband internet, you didn't actually have an Ethernet port on your broadband connection. You kind of like had to stick a USB router um, into your computer to make things happen. So this caused a lot of problems with uh, Xbox back in the day because, you know, they actually had a forward looking design that would actually still hold up today. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, our incompetence in setting up broadband connections caused issues back at the time. Um, Another sort of hilarious anecdote um, and a, a belated apology to a certain Gary Cutlack. We, we launched a magazine called Xbox World <laughs> and uh, for the first issue we wanted to do Soul Calibur. This was in the days before digital delivery and we couldn't get the game from Namco and the way we actually got the game was to put, <laughs> was to put Gary on a flight to Hong Kong. It came out, it came out first in the Far East. We put Gary on a flight to Hong Kong, where his visit to this terrific city consisted of uh, leaving the terminal, going to a game shop, buying Soul Calibur, and then returning to the terminal to fly back so we could cover it in the magazine. Oh my, uh, my God, that's awful. I mean, we all had sharp turnarounds, but n not to Hong Kong. Not to, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, the funny thing is, of course, that, you know, it's... Um, it's, it's a long and storied history with Xbox, you know, there's been a lot of triumphs, a lot of mistakes, some, you know, quite recently, obviously, the Xbox One launch was not what it could have been. Um, but there have been these massive wins as well. So in that um, uh, Xbox celebration event, uh, we saw that amazing reveal of Xbox 360 back compat for Xbox One which I think is one of the great E3 moments. I don't know what you reckon, Alex. I think it's awesome uh, because, you know, it was, I thought it was actually technically impossible until they explained it in your Digital Foundry coverage. I wasn't obviously a part of Digital Foundry back in the day. I just, you know, when the Xbox One came out or the PlayStation 4 came out with their anemic CPUs, I thought, oh man, there's no way we're ever going to get back and pad on these machines. Uh, but they came out with a very intelligent and ingenious way to do it by essentially repackaging the game, recompiling it for x86. And uh, it worked out really well. And, you know, we're, you know, the fruits of that labor are all across Xbox right now. And I just want to say as a small anecdote regarding Xbox, I think it's a really cool machine, the original one. I've been going back and taking a look at older PCs from uh, PC components from around the time the original Xbox launched. And seeing uh, the graphical output in the year when that came out with the like the feature set that it had it's really cool in comparison to pc stuff where you know on pc you the the first you know like shader model 
uh, uh, what is it at that point in time? It was like 1.3, uh, whatever, you know, like they're DirectX 8, essentially. Uh, th that stuff was not exactly easy to come by, and the cards were expensive, and they didn't run necessarily so well. And then you had your Xbox over there putting out these games at, uh, you know, 640 by 480 at a pretty good frame rate. I think it's, the machine was awesome, the original Xbox. It was a really good machine. Um, and that carried into the Xbox 360 generation, less so in the Xbox One. But, you know, we're kind of back in that area now where Xbox seems to have a really heavy technological focus. And it's really good. Yeah, I think uh, you did a tweet the other day, Alex. One of many. But uh, this, <laughs> this one resonated, uh, which is that, you know, you were talking about um, unified memory, hard drive, x86. The, you know, I often think of the PlayStation 4 as the kind of... Um, uh, the blueprint for today's consoles, right? But the original Xbox kind of did all of those things as well, apart from having, you know, SO's integrated SOC That's aside. the only thing, right? Yeah. That's pretty much it, right? It's pretty awesome. It was pretty cool. Uh, and it's going full circle because we went from essentially what was a PC repackaged, uh, you know, all to these more exotic designs and then back to a PC being repackaged now. I kind of like that, you know, large rainbow that we're getting a. Uh, through history there. It just shows how, uh, you know, some designs work uh, the best and they're timeless. And in this case, the PC-like design of the original Xbox turns out to actually be pretty timeless. I always felt the Xbox was um, such a, a sort of almost decadent design because it had all these features, which I just never thought I'd use. The, the Ethernet port you mentioned, Rich, but the, the hard drive as well was a, a big part of it where it was just like... I mean, I, I have no idea how this is going to come in handy. I've even put some music CDs on there to listen to. I was thinking, okay, this in is game. awesome. But <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, you can do it. You can play it in game That's if you'd cool. like to. And uh, yeah, it's it just, um, I always remember it for just, you know, pushing something way beyond. That was always the advantage of consoles, but especially in the PS2 days. And then it kind of tapered off. It was always this um, slight edge on PC in terms of, like polishing up an experience and giving you parts at the top end, at least for the first two years uh, before uh, PC superseded it. And Xbox really epitomized that uh, when it first released. It was it was uh, the most ahead I've seen a console be uh, relative to its time. And, and similar to today's consoles, it was also gigantic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Duke. <laughs> uh, the whole oh thing God. was just, it was like, you know, designed for a giant. The giant's <laughs> living room, giant's hands. That was part of its charm. I really loved that. <laughs> but I do think it's, you know, the other thing, of course, is that across time, I think Microsoft have just got better and better at making console designs. You know, their, their latest machines, Xbox Series S, obviously it's not, it's not the machine for digital foundry, but in terms of what it is as a console, I think it's a terrific form factor. Industrial design there is, is just pretty awesome. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just uh, really nice to sort of just sit back and reassess 20 years of, uh, of, of Xbox and to understand the impact that they've had on the market. It's just been really good. Uh, the whole thing culminated with uh, the non-surprise reveal <laughs> of um, Halo Infinite's multiplayer sort of dropping at that point early, ahead of its December the 8th uh, release. And um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to end it, right? Um, to, to sort of finish where you began. I mean, it began with Halo, 
and at this uh, this sort of massive 20th anniversary to actually get the campaign out, not the campaign, the multiplayer mode out there. We'll talk about the campaign in a bit. Phil Spencer, he's been doing a lot of uh, very positive comments, comments and um, statements recently. Yeah. And obviously there's on a sort of um, tangent, there's this whole situation, unfortunate situation happening at Activision at the moment. And he's just come straight out and said it's not acceptable and needs to be uh, needs to be addressed. There's the hint that Xbox is going to step in and try to exert some influence there to what to what extent it can. Um, but also some uh, what you could call crowd pleasing stuff here about emulation. Alex? This is awesome because usually the corporate uh, side of the industry has been very much so against emulation. Uh, whether that's historically through court cases or uh, just through DMCDA takedowns or threats, legal threats. But having the head of Xbox come out and say, we need a you know, industry-wide rethink about emulation to preserve the history of video games, uh, that's extremely positive. I mean, it is Microsoft, it is Xbox. They're probably imagining this also from another angle where we want to emulate everything on our machines as well, too. Uh, they probably do have that angle there because it is a very positive way to grow your fan base, to grow the amount of available games in your catalog. But at the same time, you have this philosophical side of things where, yeah, we as an industry, we need to embrace it. It's been embraced on PC forever, but in this quasi-legal state, Unfortunately, due to the fact it's legal to emulate, it's legal to build emulators, but the distribution platform for games uh, for emulation requires you to legally have your own original analog copy. And that's the part where it kind of falls apart, emulation on PC. It requires either you to pirate or to have these original copies, and the original copies are scarce. And I think Microsoft, with their push, they could actually probably make a digital marketplace for old games become a reality uh, because they're already kind of doing it with Xbox right now. You can go and buy older Xbox 360 or original Xbox games on the Xbox marketplace and emulate them on your series console, uh, the latest console here now. And I'd hope that's something we can maybe see come of this. So there's no scarcity problem anymore in the emulation scene. Totally agree. Firstly, that, you know, there's a, there's... Microsoft aren't foreign to this idea of, um, keeping alive uh, a legacy sort of catalog. And there's yeah plenty to plumb into, like the Sega back uh, catalog. Uh, there's yeah just too much. They won't get much from uh, like direct competitors like Nintendo but uh, or Sony, but certainly anything that predates uh, that rivalry, that's all fair game, I think, as long as they can get the, I guess, the licenses for these games up and running. It should be good to go, but... Yes, yeah, very promising. The key hurdle here is that if you own an old game, you should be able to play it, right? Whereas um, to go down this official route, the only way it seems to be happening is to kind of create some kind of um, monetization scheme to make you buy those old games, uh, which is which on the one hand is fair enough, but on the other hand, I don't think if you've bought them in the past, you should be playing paying for them again. Um, so this all comes down to physical media, right? Obviously, things are going to be tricky on cartridges, but for and, and 
potentially even for CDs. I'm not even sure. Can the Xbox play CDs? I don't think the PlayStation can. I think the Xbox so, can, but no. Right, okay. So, Series yeah, X, I mean, I mean if, yeah, if the, if the um, media is readable, then I think it should be able to play it. And I think that should go for older Xbox titles as well. Now, if there's not a way to do that via official emulation baked into the console, then maybe uh, allowing emulators into your ecosystem is the way forward there, um, which could potentially sort that out. I mean, you can get a, an official Steam version of RetroArch, right? So that could be the way forward there. But again, um, just very positive comments there coming from Phil Spencer. So um, I'm going to be interested to see how they're actioned, but uh, certainly in terms of talking the talk, it's happening and, and it's fantastic to see. Elder Scrolls 6 will be appearing only on PC and um, Xbox consoles. Kind of makes sense, right, Tom? Yeah, I mean, Microsoft did spend an inordinate amount of money on uh, Bethesda. Yeah, I think $7 billion. <laughs> yeah, I was just literally typing in, what was it? What's the number? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, they're going to need to recoup those costs. And they need, uh, you know, this game is the biggest flagship release from Bethesda. Arguably, I think this is like uh, the one that everyone associates most closely with the company right now. And it is going to be, yeah, shifting units. I think um, if Microsoft follows on from their, the, the way they've uh, set it up recently, uh, they might have like a delayed window where the exclusivity goes out the window, say maybe two, three years down the line. It's possible, but I could also see them just keeping a hold of it for as long as they'd like just to sell Xbox units. Yeah, I mean, the number one argument against this or or against total exclusivity is basically, um, you know, well, you know, there's going to be X million of PS5 owners out there. That Microsoft are basically leaving money on the table there, you know, and I do see an argument to that. But at the same time, um, I do think in terms of wider strategic goals for Microsoft, it is about um, enhancing their own platform, which is no longer just about a console. I think they've done an excellent job of, um, I mean, still a work in progress job, but an excellent job overall of transitioning Xbox from being a brand that's about um, black and white boxes in your living room to actually being a more wider global platform that does encompass PC. Do you have any thoughts about this, Alex, about this this whole concept of exclusivity for Elder Scrolls 6? It was originally that way with Oblivion uh, back in the day, right? <laughs> and it was also technically for um, Morrowind before that, too. So it's, once again, going full circle here. Um, but uh, the thing that I think is interesting about it from a technical perspective is that I think we may see some good synergy uh, with Elder Scrolls 6 being on PC and Xbox only uh, for modding reasons, because, you know, uh, the, the series of games in the past have been very uh, open and friendly for modding. And you've been able to actually, with Skyrim, especially on uh, console, uh, on Xbox specifically, utilize mods, but that was, you know, after the game's initial launch, uh, not in the Xbox 360 version. But this time around, I think because they're focusing wholly and solely on these two platforms, the, you know, the, you know, they can actually perhaps have a day and date launch for consoles as well, too, and build a the ability to have mods running there, which I would really look forward to because that's, you know, these games come out and they're 
I'm not a big fan of them always, but mods can bring them into a into a new and special place, and it would be really cool to see that on console. And uh, it looks as though I think something which has heartened me about uh, Microsoft moving more, uh, embracing PC sort of a bit more um, openly is that these titles they may well be exclusive to their platform, but they are putting them out on Steam, mm. uh, That's which I nice. think is a, is a big move. And um, certainly in the here and now, where well, we talked about it last week, where the the, the Games Pass portal <laughs> uh, is uh, is scratch. not really up to up to scratch. We, we, last week, Alex, we were berating you uh, for not remembering that it's called Game Pass, but and, uh, instead of Games Game your Games Pass. <laughs> but you know, I've been thinking about it. It's not as if Netflix is Netflix. Yeah, is it? So it yeah, maybe it is the the right route, route <laughs> forward. <laughs> okay, look, let's move on. Interesting news this week from Nvidia. Um, they have basically launched a new upscaling algorithm, or relaunched and uh, repackaged an existing uh, upscaling algorithm, presumably in response to uh, Fidelity FX Super Resolution. They've also unleashed a new image comparison tool called iCat. And um, we had the presentation, Alex. Um, we haven't really discussed, we didn't do any content on NVIDIA image scaling. I think for the same reason we don't really focus that much on FSR, which is to say that it's it's an upscaler. I mean, okay, fair enough, but it's, it's not particularly thrilling. It's not state-of-the-art technology. But um, tell us what you think about this whole uh, press beat from NVIDIA. Like it is just kind of necessary for them to do it. I think the actual clout of discussion, uh, if you were to look at it in terms of quantitative analysis, is probably people wondering about DLSS titles, people wanting DLSS and more titles, the you know vast amount of graphics cards sold out there, and NPCs are those that can use DLSS nowadays. Uh, I think that's actually where the money lies and where the interesting things are. This feels almost like a uh, just a, like a knee-jerk, we need to do this kind of thing uh, to release this NVIDIA image scaler because honestly, uh, the quality speaks for itself. If you look at the comparisons, I barely have to say anything there, but you know, this has limited utility, uh, I would say, in comparison to other things. It's a nice thing to have, though, um, for sure. Um, ICAT, though, this is, I like this. Um, I saw some critique out there that people are a bit disappointed that it doesn't include, um, you know, other image analysis parameters and comparison points in it regarding like noise and you know all these other things you can do. We, with image. We did, well, I actually took them to task on that. In yeah, the right. Press. Yeah, which is basically, you know, okay, this is basically a tool that allows everybody to present their subjective analysis, but as as a kind of um, image quality metric, we're still none the better off. <laughs> we're still right? not better. That's the thing. And, uh, and their response was basically to point to um, a death loop image where the DLSS image is drastically better than the native 4K image. <laughs> um, and in that respect, it was kind of difficult to argue with because then we got into an argument about what ground truth is, what is the comparison point if native isn't really working properly. And I think the issue is basically that DLSS isn't just an upscaler, it's an anti-aliaser. And sometimes its anti-aliasing is considerably better than a game's native anti-aliasing solution, which is, I suspect, what is happening in Deathloop. But it means that we're kind of still none 
not better off in terms of a quantitative analysis of image quality. And again, we, you know, how many times have we discussed this in the direct and how many times have we discussed this you know, on Slack or in our own personal chats? We are making some headway there in actually coming up with a way to measure image quality. But um, I don't think we're ever going to completely lose the subjective element. And in that respect, I think ICAT is quite useful because it does allow you easier ways to um, compare footage and screenshots head to head. That's the positive part about it. And I think if they expand ICAT over time to have a bit of a wider feature set and support some other um, codecs uh, for videos that you can drop into it, I think I could see myself using it uh, quite a bit in the pre-production aspect of my videos. I'll still need to use Premiere uh, for a lot of these things uh, because it'll just, you know, it premieres the package that we use. Uh, but for the, you know, the pre-analysis, when we're working in Premiere, we only have like a preview window and the quality and the playback isn't always so good. Something like iCAT actually has a really nice, uh, you know, it's it, it could be useful for zooming in on the things that we want to highlight beforehand. Yeah, it's, it's important to talk about what iCAT actually is, which is to say that it, it basically allows you to import videos, line them up, uh, and then allow you to do real-time head-to-heads zoom ins the the classic 400 percent zoom uh, that everybody hates but everybody is the only way we really to show you things uh, really are actually are. different when most of your audience is watching on a five inch mobile phone uh enables you to play back footage to do so slowly um and which is another point that they came up with in terms of um uh, you know comparison that it's got to be kind of you know to be able to support in motion video, right? Otherwise, you know, it's 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 not the full picture. So yeah, I, I was actually sort of I'm heartened by the release of iCat. I think it's a, a good way to sort of easily get to the bottom of the comparison process and, and make it uh, democratize it a bit, allow people to do their own comparisons. I think it's actually a positive step forward. And um, the actual meat and drink of what we're trying to do which is to sort of actually quantify image quality i think that's going to be an ongoing process and i'm going to be interested to see in particular what intel come up with there because obviously they've got their own um, super sampling solution and they're going to want to get some metrics out there i would suspect uh, but let's move on so next topic um it's always good to Go see feedback to our critiques which are always about making games better and we actually have a good example of this right Alex? Age of Empires 4 I really loved the game but it had some technical issues on launch uh, before the video came out that I made covering Age of Empires 4 uh, I was playing the game and I noticed immediately after just trying to play it I noticed that I kept dropping frames when the camera was moving and I found it just visually disorientating um, and the reason for that was after I sent an email off to uh, Microsoft through Microsoft to Relic, uh, they got back to me and they said, "Okay, so when the camera moves, the way our texture paging works, essentially, we're just drawing really heavily from the GPU there, and it's overloading the GPU at this one moment when you move the camera. So every single time the camera move, I'm gonna only show this briefly on screen because apparently it made people sick in my video, according to the comments. So Audie, just briefly show this where when you move the camera, the, the frame rate uh, would almost go down by half. Uh, the frame time would double more or less and it would flatline. It was pretty brutal looking. Now though, 
due to this feedback before release and due to the fact I'm pretty sure the fact that we could highlight it so well in a technical way, other people could latch onto it and give their feedback to Relic and Microsoft. Uh, this is now, as you can see in this footage here, when I'm moving the camera around, the frame rate barely dips. Frame times are barely affected. Uh, you know, it's running at like 140 FPS here, uh, a full tick at 4K on a 3090. It's pretty brutal. It's awesome. Um, so this is really good feedback to see. I love seeing it when game developers look at our content and community feedback and actually change something about a game. Yeah, I think this is an important point, actually, Alex, because um, a lot of people sort of respond to our critiques as uh, sort of baseless criticism of a game, nitpicking, as it were. Um, but, you know, when you can actually present issues and um, we always give the heads up to the developers ahead of time um, and uh, we can hopefully get games improved, right? This isn't a negative situation. It's about highlighting stuff that could be improved and, um, and getting that feedback to the developers and making the games better. And I'm just really happy to see that this has been improved. And um, we're sort of going through that process now uh, with um, Halo Infinite, where we've got a preview out where um, there are some issues. I mean, in that case, the issues are fundamentally not really uh, anything new because we saw them in the multiplayer element, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, basically that the animations and are not synch synchronizing with frame rate, which basically causes judder, uh, which just it looks odd. It's kind of curious in the case of Halo because it looks as though actual rendering performance is pretty sound overall on good. Xbox Good, yeah, it looks good. <laughs> uh, that but, was the surprising uh, the, thing. Yeah, it's just in the presentation, right? And um, fingers crossed that they can fix that one too but yeah interesting good stuff let's move on to our next topic alex again oh my you're, you're, you you really pop yes you've populated <laughs> the sheet this week uh, but i'm going to come to you again to talk about uh the patch for uh, hellblade on pc which on the face of it adds the ray tracing features that we saw in the consoles and also uh, bolts on DLSS, which is fantastic. Now, my question to you, is it just the Xbox Series feature set? Is there anything new added apart from DLSS? And what do you think of this patch overall? Uh, reflections were on the Xbox. I don't uh, believe Shadows were, though. So that was something that's a new version on PC. It's uh, unlocked on the, very <clears throat> on the high ray tracing setting. There's three settings. Low is reflections. Medium as reflections, and I've, I'm going to send Audi some footage here. I actually don't think they look very different between low and medium. It's, it's very curious. The, the, the actual difference uh, is very small, and it's like, just like weird little things, and I'm not sure what the technical uh, differences are actually between low and medium. I had a really hard time deciding what that was. Uh, but a high adds in uh, ray trace shadows, and uh, that's really about it. DLSS is obviously really welcome. Uh, to get it up and running, they obviously had to like import the plugin there and probably update their version of Unreal Engine as well too. So maybe it wasn't completely trivial, but them adding in these extra features, uh, I think this is one of those issues that I've seen before with Unreal Engine titles where uh, developers, they have this great feature set of uh, ray tracing stuff that they can do, but they don't necessarily consider the artistic ramifications of what they are already doing in the game. So a game like Senua's, uh, is this called Senua's Sacrifice, right? Hellblade Sacrifice. Saga is the next one. I don't want to mess that up. Uh, Hellblade uh, on PC and Xbox is using uh, 
for their vegetation, for example, uh, it's to make it move and sway around, they use vertex animations. And now vertex animations can be represented very well in a shadow map. So you can have the shadows move uh, really well in a shadow map from vegetation. But in ray tracing, it's tracing against geometry and triangles, and it doesn't have really a good sense, actually, of what's happening with this vertex animation. So by default, actually, in Unreal Engine, if you have vegetation, uh, it won't necessarily be shadow casting when you turn on ray trace shadows. You need a special branch, actually, to do that of Unreal Engine. So if you turn on ray trace shadows in this game uh, on PC, you're going to be missing a lot of shadow maps uh, or shadows that all come from vegetation only have screen space shadows and that's not too awesome i i think that i think that's a, a mistake the ray tracing shadows do help out other areas of the game but you know i i find it just like they could have done that differently a better or maybe chosen a different ray tracing technique like ray trace dam and occlusion um but the bigger issue i'm having here with this hellblade pc version patch that I'm actually, I'm happy that they did bring this out, but it brings up an issue that we've been seeing with Unreal Engine 4 for a while now, where the DX12 version of a lot of Unreal Engine 4 releases is plagued by a variety of stutters. And uh, some of these are probably due to shader compilation stutter. There's no pre-compilation step that we see in other games. Like recently I talked about Forza Horizon 5, and there's a pretty hefty uh, like one minute, 20 second pre-compilation step before you can get, get in game to prevent stutters. Uh, that is a good thing. That's what something we want. Uh, but Hellblade doesn't seem to do that. And so when you go through, and I'm going to send Audi some footage here of DX11 next to DX12, you're just walking through the game. There's some pretty big stutters. Uh, and it sometimes also happens in like emotional moments. You know, like it's really not cool when your first experience with a game on PC during emotionally interesting charged moments is a big stutter. Uh, so this is something, I, I'm not gonna do a complete video on this at all, but I'm thinking in the future and I want some comments, please, uh, here on the YouTube channel, tell me if you wanna see a video like this, just examining in depth this Unreal Engine stutter, maybe getting some developer commentary because I'm getting a little tired of seeing it and I think people in the audience maybe too, and maybe if we highlight it, and we make it uh, make developers more aware of it. Maybe make Epic more aware of this issue that we're seeing. Maybe it'll change in the future somehow. Yeah, this is a big issue because you can't power your way past it, right? You can you can have the most powerful CPU. You can have RTX 3090. Doesn't matter. You're going to get stutter. There's you know there's nothing. I mean, potentially, I guess the CPU could uh, reduce the stutter, but the stutter is still going to be there. It's still going to be a massive impact of frame times. And uh, it kind of needs to be sorted. And it's sort of bizarre also in the benchmarking world where there are certain titles, uh, it's usually DX12, where you always get stutter and um, you have to rerun the benchmark to actually, you know, basically get the shader compiled and then to actually accurately measure GPU performance. But are you actually <laughs> accurately measuring the gameplay experience if you're having to um, effectively compile the shaders and then rerun the process again. That's not what, what's going to be happening with the gamer. They're just going to be playing through and getting a really bad experience. So this kind of needs to be sorted, right? And I think um, outside of some of Unreal Engine's issues, there is the whole shader pre-compilation thing, which I think is a, a necessary evil. You don't need to do it on consoles because obviously they can compile the shaders 
to the specific hardware that you've got straight out of the box. This, you know, it's just stored in data. But it is an issue on PC. It's been there, you know, to varying extents for a long time. But DX12 and specifically with Unreal Engine titles seem to have real issues here. But you know, on the plus side, it does look as though there was there is a, a way forward, right? So the Ascent launched with pretty bad stuttering issues. It was addressed um, to a certain extent, right? And then there's you know titles like Gears of War Five, which don't seem to have the issue at all. I think this is the one thing that will probably come out if I do make this video on it, that there are ways around it, but there's maybe not enough information out there about how to do it for shipping titles. So that's what I'm hoping the answer is. I'm hoping there isn't actually some fundamental technological hurdle here. Uh, one thing that I've been thinking about, since you did mention this, Rich, that it is a, there is a mechanism to already prevent this from happening on console titles because you're just shipping the already pre-compiled shaders with the title itself. Um, now, there's actually already been exist. There's this already technically exists on PC as well too. Um, for the Dolphin emulator, there's pre-compiled shader packages you can download for the games. Uh, for Steam, there's a mechanism for sharing shader cache in the cloud, which is very interesting. Uh, and the fact that we also have Nvidia uh, and uh, I guess AMD having programs that are, that can download profiles for games before they even launch you know that's the whole point of you know i think there's actually another way around this that involves the ihvs the driver makers from perhaps shipping pre-compiled shaders for specific gpus and driver versions with games but it would, it would require an infrastructure and that's something maybe one day i will like to <laughs> talk to nvidia amd and intel about because it's it's a big shame that you have these monstrous GPUs and these great PC CPUs, and you load up a game and it's just a stutter city. Uh, it doesn't need to be this way. I think there's perhaps even a, something that Nvidia, AMD, and Intel could do about it. But I think the thing is, it is an issue, and it's an it's a super obvious issue that you can't ignore because every single PC will have it. Yeah, right. everyone. So it sh in theory, it should be part of the QA process. You know, I wish. Say, hey, we've got this really horrible, you know, stuff. <laughs> what, what can we do as developers to, to address it? Or if you're Epic, you know, what can we as engine developers do to mitigate the problem? You know, this comes down to best practices. And yeah, I, I guess there is a number of potential strategies there, but it kind of does need to be addressed. Going to talk a bit more about some uh, DF content here. Tom, you're up. Elden Ring, let's talk about that. Um, we had the network test recently, and um, you've essentially tested the game on all systems. At this point, uh, we should have content up that discusses the new wave of consoles, PS5, Series X, Series S. More to come on the last gen. Uh, what's your overall takeaway on this game so far? Uh, I've played seven platforms. Uh, <laughs> over the weekend. So uh, there were five um, like uh, test uh, periods of about three hours over the weekend that the network test was running. I got in for a good number of them and basically ran through a very set 20 minute, 30 minute sequence for each console uh, of the seven. Uh, you know, PlayStation and Xbox is old and new and uh, to try and get a good sense of just you know, image quality, frame rates, all this, all the stuff people want to know about. And it's been interesting. There's, um, yeah, we're pushing out that. We decided, Rich, to, you know, push that current gen uh, video out first um, because there's a lot to get through. 
and the PlayStation 5 version seems to be really like ahead of the the ahead of the competition in this one at least for the network stress test it's got uh the frame rate to its advantage like the there are two modes there's a performance and a quality mode but in both cases that PlayStation 5 version seems to be ahead by as much as 10 fps and it's always very consistently ahead in you know just walking across grass and things like that so it kind of became yeah it's a it's a very odd um scenario where you'd look to the resolution side uh, to explain maybe why all the visual effects and settings, why is there a sort of trade-off going on there? But even then, PS5 seems to be holding up with sometimes higher resolutions. And then we looked into why the Xbox version uh, had or appeared to be a, a sharper image uh, in a lot of our comparison shots, despite PS5 having technically the higher raw resolution metric. And we just, uh, I think we we ended up finding that it's because the Xbox version has no motion blur enabled in the frame rate mode. So there's another <laughs> setting. <laughs> so I love that. So um, we were like, yeah. oh, so what's going on with the Xbox version? <sighs> Let's put it down to likely it's just an early test. Uh, I mean, the loading times are halved on PS5 as well when you're fast traveling between areas and when you obviously have to respawn because you're going to die a lot. It's a Souls-like game. You can expect to die an awful lot. So this is important. And uh, again, PS5 has half the loading times in the network test. So again, a long long wait. Well, not a long wait. It's February. But there's a wait before we get to the final release. And I think some of this will change. And I'm kind of excited to see what, what happens. But yeah, Elden Ring. It's been a it's been a wild ride. There's been a lot of stuff to kind of figure out uh, comparing all these versions, all these permutations. Yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, obviously, we've got last gen to come. But is it is there a, a win? Is there a, a current gen win over the last gen titles? Is there an actual sort of palpable advantage beyond resolution and frame rate? I wish I could say yes, but there is obviously frame rate resolution. There's better grass. <laughs> This is the thing, like... Um, I, so we're, this is we're like, still in cross-gen city, really, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, that's it. But, it, it, but it is a new From Software game, and therefore it is exciting. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. This feels like the Dark Souls 3 uh, sort of... It feels like Dark Souls 4 with an open world. And being cross-gen, you can really see how that scales across all seven platforms. Xbox One... We're going to do like the video on this later, but the base Xbox One is the most fascinating like bottom tier release I've seen in a while. Uh, <laughs> I was telling you about this, Rich, but the the enemies, they kind of update at half the frame rate. Uh, the game runs at 30 FPS, but the enemies, uh, like even like about, say, five virtual meters away, will be swinging their swords about 15 frames per second. So it looks like um, a Ray Harryhausen animation. Like. I love that, though. That's great. Uh, Tom, wow. I've got a question for you, Tom. Is there actually any version that is a real 60 FPS? Because from software, they release games, man. But, you know, yeah. they're not a steady frame rate. <laughs> they're, they're unlocked for reasons unknown. Is there any version that is actually 60 FPS, like a real uh, 60? Th th there is only one way. Uh, right now in the network test, then that's to play the PS4 app, the PS4 Pro app in on a PlayStation 5. 
the if you play the PS5 uh, version, as it appears with the white logo on the menus, it's not going to run at 60 FPS, no matter what you do. Um, so yeah, the, the, run the PS4 Pro app and you'll see uh, what I mean. Maybe that'll be cleared up by the re final release, but uh, I do... I do doubt it'll 100% solve it. So yeah, there is a workaround, but you lose the nice quality, higher density grass. You lose the higher resolution PS5 pushes, but that's your trade. I kind of am sort of curious about this whole phenomena of um, PS4 games being locked to 60 on PS5 and the PS5 versions not doing that. Um, I think fundamentally a lot of this is going to come down to hopefully just uh, tighter optimizations and um, a, a tighter focus on those specific platforms, uh, but also the VRR support for PlayStation 5, which basically makes a lot of these issues go away. Hopefully they can um, uh, to, to expedite that. Uh, it is in development. Uh, I think I've said in the past that it's been a kind of TBC on the SDK roadmap. There is actually now movement there. It is happening it won't be any time in the immediate future, but it is happening. So um, VR is coming to PlayStation 5, but uh, just don't expect it any time uh, this year for, for, for sure. But it is actively being pursued. Um, okay, so let's move on to our final discussion point. Interesting one, this, because we haven't actually had the time to test this at this point because we're kind of busy. But um, Guardians of the Galaxy has received a patch which does various things um, obviously addresses a lot of issues but um, series s gets the unlocked frame rate mode i think it might have had a launch but was patched out it's patched back in um, but more interestingly ray tracing support has been added to the game on consoles it was there from on pc i think from day one um, but this is an interesting situation because we had you know a comment from john yesterday which is like this is a bit of a pain because I've just finished the game and now it's been launched, you know, it's come out with raid facing. There's this um, concept, right, Alex, of games that are essentially launching in, in an incomplete way. And if you're a big fan and a core gamer, you're going to be buying it on day one. And then, you know, literally within weeks, you could be getting a better experience. That That isn't right. Yeah, it isn't cool. We're seeing it here with this game on console. Saw it <clears throat> before that with Death Deathloop, where if you played that initial version of Deathloop on uh, PC specifically, you know, it's like stuttering and you're like, oh no, uh, or well, camera stuttering, I should say. Um, you know, this, then Halo Infinite is gonna be launching without campaign co-op, without ray tracing, without a whole bunch of features. It's just, you know, I do wonder what the rush is if it to get a game out, you know, where in two to three weeks time it'll be in a much better place. I do wonder what what exactly is the drive from the publishing angle to get the game out so quickly. I suspect it's financials, right? If you think about, you know, let's say developer A has 750 people on staff. I mean, that is actually super top end. Um, but if you think about a month, just a month's worth of salary for those people, it's going to be millions of dollars, right? So, um, yeah, I guess there's financial projections. There's also the best time to release a game. You kind of want to get your game out when it can have some time to itself, possibly. Um, there's a lot of reasons as to why uh, games have to launch at specific times. 
uh, and I think this concept of feature creep, um, you know, stuff that should have been there at launch but won't be, it's a, a bit problematic because, you know, especially in a case of a game like Guardians where it needed that extra time for polish. And um, it was a game that was already really beautiful, but ray tracing, in theory, again, we haven't looked at it, certainly made a big difference on PC, right, Alex? I mean, it should have been there at launch. It is confusing why it wasn't there at launch, because, like you said, it was on there on PC, and this game had been shown off before quite often in its 30 FPS mode. And even Tom's coverage of it, when you looked at that, like, Series S version, it didn't see, something just didn't seem right with the scaling there. It was like it was like oh this the Series S version seems like they had the the least amount of time in the oven the baking time <laughs> regarding its release uh, so it's a shame to see as well as it's nice to see I hope we just see less of it in the future and I hope this is more uh, COVID right that is a that is an interesting point actually because you know we are in unprecedented times uh, but yeah I think especially for like single player story driven games the concept of improving visuals. Uh, post-launch is is especially problematic because you know your core fan base have bought the game and played it and um, there's only so much you know you, you're not you're not likely to go back and play it again unless the 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 visual feature updates are kind of game-changing a lot of it like I used to work in QA where there would be the code a bugs and the code B bugs I think the approach a lot of these developers take is to eliminate the code A's the crashes before launch and then address the code Bs, which are kind of the, the more glaring visual issues uh, kind of in a day one patch. And there's, there's always been, uh, I think, there's, there's been an element of that since the PS3 360 era, midway through that where developers realized they could get ahead of their, uh, you know, avoid a delay and just get it out there. Um, that mentality has stuck, uh, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I long for the days where you could just release a cartridge or game and that was that. The gold standard, the gold disc was made and that was all you had. Okay, so we're going to be moving on now to um, Patreon Q&A. Essentially, this is the part of the show, one of my favourite parts, where we field questions from our supporters on the DF Supporter Programme. Uh, some interesting questions this week. Um, we're going to kick off with one from uh, Lee, Yar Lee Yarker. Hey, Lee. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing there. Probably because uh, it's kind of like a, another question from Lee that isn't about DLSS. Is, <laughs> Thanks, uh, Lee. <laughs> good stuff. Um, so, Lee, your question here. Why do so many games release with incorrect frame pacing? And what's a suitable way to go about correcting it? Um interesting one right Alex from the PC perspective games release with it because they're using their own internal frame metric deciding option and I'll use the classic example of CryEngine pre-rise where CryEngine pre-rise its frame rate rounder was just rounding to like the wrong integer number at the end so you get 31 FPS instead of 30 you know that's like an issue on PC, there's an API, of course. You can literally just call half refresh rate vSync from DirectX, by the way. It doesn't necessarily need to be from the NVIDIA or AMD driver. A lot of devs do not necessarily do it, though. I know it's done in some games like Metro Exodus, where no matter your hardware, they have a perfect half refresh rate vSync in the option. Same with other games, like uh, a lot of the recent Ubisoft titles. Ubisoft titles have had it, uh, which I really liked. But on the console side, I actually don't know how things are done there. Uh, and we do see it there 
more often than I would like sometimes, but sometimes it's also limited, I think, um, for just hardware performance reasons. Uh, we had commentary when John uh, looked at, uh, uh, what was it, Doom 2016 as well as Doom Eternal. Uh, you got developer commentary uh, there regarding the Switch version about how incorrect frame pacing could happen in that version due to general system load being too high. Um, it was just like the system could not necessarily keep up with prop with proper frame pacing. This is true. This is also the reason for Halo 3's uh, pockets of bad frame pacing on Xbox 360, because uh, I think I've said this in the past, but it doesn't happen on the back compat version on Xbox One. And the reason why is because they've got a lot more GPU power, so it never encounters those issues. And that was confirmed by the back compat team. So that is definitely a reason. You know, we've got two solid examples there. I think we need to talk about incorrect frame pacing meaning different things on different scenarios in pc i guess when it was originally uh sort of touted as an issue it was with uh, multi-gpu sli and uh, crossfire uh, systems where i think it's basically each gpu alternately creates a frame to double performance or theoretically double performance but actual delivery of those frames was being done in a inconsistent manner that could also grossly distort frame rate metrics versus the actual experience. So that's one example of incorrect frame pacing. Uh, the sort of rendition of it that we discuss is essentially, um, usually, 30 FPS games running on console with VSync enabled, where you aren't getting a new frame every 33 milliseconds. They're being inconsistently delivered at um, 16, 33 or 50. And it just looks bad actually you know really bad frame pacing actually looks a lot worse than 30 frames per second you, th you think the game isn't actually functioning correctly um, so yeah so we have one scenario here where it's the lack of gpu power uh, the, the game is hitting the limits and then we sort of lose that synchronization uh, another situation is um, in the from software games uh, the engine based on information from lance mcdonald with his bloodborne patch uh, the information that we have there is that the game is hard-coded to put out 30 frames per second, but it is in no relation to how the screen updates. So um, it will just, its target is to produce 30 frames per second, and it doesn't really matter, or it doesn't really pay any attention to synchronizing that with uh, the display. So that's another reason. Um, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm assuming it's just, um, a synchronization issue. Uh, I think back in the day when there was the first Destiny beta test, that had frame, that had frame pacing issues, and I believe Bungie were talking about um, they had challenges fixing that because they wanted low latency. So that's potentially another issue there. And uh, I think another potential one is um, simply that uh, middleware, for example, Unreal Engine may not um, solve this at the sort of base rendering level. Um, but that is now fixed in um, in Unreal. Yeah, I mean, it has been fixed, but we still see things like um, GTA 3 Definitive Edition, where we, we see in, uh, inconsistent frame pacing there. So the answer to Lee's question, um, 
basically the developer has to take a look at it and 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 come up with a, their own solution for whatever the circumstances are that are causing it i guess uh, in terms of actually identifying it i mean i've seen a lot of developer debug screens at this point and um they don't actually they measure performance in the moment but they don't measure historical performance and they don't tend to have uh, frame time graphs and uh, that is a problem i think i think i think it might be passing through qa because the, you know unless you have a video capture tool with graphing facilities like we've got um it's essentially going to be something that you don't have any sort of quantifiable data for you've got to eyeball it but you know it is a problem that it's that needs to be addressed and it shouldn't be a problem because you know going all the way back to ridge racer one on playstation one perfect 30 frames per second consistent frame pacing so in theory it should not be that difficult but you know whatever for whatever reason it is but fingers crossed dark souls is the classic one uh, a lot of people go to bloodborne uh, i think uh, it took them um, but there, there was a time where we didn't have the frame time uh, readings on our uh, sort of uh, gui uh, on our, our frame rate graphs and uh, we didn't know why, I mean, Dark Souls looked extensively like a flat 30 FPS line and then you add the frame time graph and you realize, oh, actually, that's 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 why it's not so smooth, despite the 30. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. And uh, hopefully games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls, hopefully they can be solved someday too. Let's move on to the next question. It's actually two questions. I'm going to read them both because they're related and almost entirely contradictory. <laughs> but let's get on with it first question from neon 5 we generally don't do this but is it about time we start comparing xcloud versions of games as well the reason i ask is that i've played halo infinite on xcloud with razor kishi this is kind of like um controllers for a mobile and and my they have done something with the latency it feels near native do we have any idea how they are pulling this off orion from id tech in play or something now that's his question. Uh, the question from Decathlon here. If Microsoft is the leading developer of cloud technology working with Sega and others on this service, why are xCloud games poorly streamed? I know there are lots of factors to include, but hardwired, but hardwired gigabit internet with high upload speeds can barely run simple games without heavy pixelmation. I like that word. I think it means pixelation. Pixelmation. FPS games are out of the question, and the ascent resolution is lower than the, the ascent resolution is lower than the retro PC time capsule Alex is building. You should try running the ascent on your retro I'm, PC. That I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, what is going on with this service, and why does it suck? Well, I've got some theories about this, but um, Tom, what do you reckon? You just did this huge thing on Parsec, which covered a whole bunch of streaming services. So what's going on here? How can we have two such opposing views? Oh, God, it really depends. There's so many factors with cloud gaming, and that might be fundamentally the, the crux of why it's hard to recommend for everybody. But being closer to a data center, wherever they're placed, will help hugely. Wherever the Microsoft servers are for X cloud gaming, that's that's going to give you a big boon in latency. Um, the original question in there is whether we should cover them. Like, uh, is it start a time to start comparing the X Cloud versions? And I think 
there is an argument for doing that at some point. Um, so long as we know what the spec is, server side. Uh, well, I think at the moment they're all on Series X uh, blades, but if they're completely congested, you may drop down to an Xbox One S blade. But um, I obviously recently visited Playground Games and I said to them, is there any, you know, we've talked about Xbox One, Xbox Series X uh, versions of Forza Horizon 5. Um, what did you need to do for the cloud? And the response was basically, uh, it's sort of all taken care of us, for us. So it is basically an Xbox in the cloud. So I think this is a great thing and um, because developers don't really have to worry about it. Um, but I guess I'm going to throw this over to you, Alex, which is there, there are two points here, which is should we be covering xCloud? And secondly, how can Neon 5 and Decatron have such contrasting experiences? Maybe in the further future, in the further future, the thing is I just don't like covering it because there's a lack of control, um, which probably explains their very different subjective versions of what they've experienced via xCloud. And I think actually there's uh, even more than what Tom hinted at is that there's also just device configuration issues, uh, router configuration issues, where you, for all, everything you think is working right, gigabit connection, end device is fast, maybe there's a hiccup in there that you just really can't see. And perhaps that points to the fact that there needs to be really good diagnostic tools uh, provided by uh, people like Google Stadia and xCloud and Parsec that uh, examine your full connection. Your ISP can already do this for you, actually, when you do a speed test via your ISP. They say, our connection's good up until this point, but it gets worse here. And they can point you to that, actually. Um, so perhaps this is something that should be done for xCloud and Stadia and all these other things. I don't think they have tools like that at the moment for the user to have. Do you, would you both know that? Parsec has a very uh, sort of straightforward decoding, encoding, um, and internet latency. They break down the pipeline for you at the top and uh, which uh, decoder and encoder you're using as well, uh, whether it's H.264 or HEVC. Beyond that, I don't know of any that do it. Uh, I think uh, GeForce Now has a similar um, sort of latency, uh, uh, sort of dashboard debug readout. Um, but yeah, I think the problem is these uh, solutions are supposed to be kind of plug and play and just work. And obviously they don't. And the reason being is that, you know, you've got this huge amount of infrastructure sitting between the client device, whatever you're streaming to, and the server, wherever it may be. And um, I think on a general level, most of the uh, infrastructure problems have been broadly addressed. Um, the problem is usually what's happening in the last mile, you know, or certainly the last few meters with your router or router, as uh, our US audience would say, um, uh, which is, you know, what's happening there and, you know, how good is your Wi-Fi connection? That can add like lots of lag and inconsistency. And um, this is why five gigahertz Wi-Fi is generally recommended for, um, for cloud streaming. But at the same time, the range on that is problematic. Maybe that will go away once, you know, new forward looking formats will, will come about. But yeah, I mean, basically, here's the thing, right? Microsoft can't be in control of 
all of the infrastructure beyond their server, right? I mean, maybe Azure can uh, sort of iron out um, issues to your ISP, but once it's from your ISP to your router to your device, it's kind of like Wild West stuff, right? There's no control. That could well be why there's issues there. I mean, Decathlon here has got <laughs> hardwired gigabit internet and uh, he's still having a bad experience. So this is the problem, you know, that is the problem, infrastructure and the fact that um, typically a console is a curated experience, but you can't curate what is beyond, you know, the technology beyond their uh, front door. That's, that's a real problem. And similarly, you know, I think the cloud may come into its own when we all have connections like Decathlon's, but um, there's still a big issue with streaming, which is that, um, let's say I've got a standard fiber connection at home. I wanna play some Forza Horizon 5 on xCloud, uh, but my, my wife wants to watch Netflix. Contention, contention is a massive problem. You know, if, if somebody is demanding a lot of bandwidth from your connection and then you step up saying, hey, I want 10, 20, 30 megabits for my gameplay streaming, that is problematic. And um, that is why there's so many different factors as to why cloud streaming can suck. In terms of um, the question about uh, whether we're going to cover it, um, I'm actually really intrigued by this whole RTX 3080 tier from GeForce Now. I do want to look at that and maybe we can circle back and look at xCloud at the same time because um, Microsoft, sorry, NVIDIA are claiming some remarkable latency advantages over xCloud, which I am eager to test. Uh, going, some, uh, going back again to Neon5's question, he thinks it's so good that possibly Orion technology from idtech is in play. Um, just to sort of highlight what that is. Uh, there was a point where Bethesda were going to do their own cloud streaming system, codenamed Orion, and they thought, how can we make it good? We'll, we'll get id tech, we'll get id software. The tech genius is over there involved. And um, there are some interesting patents out there from, uh, from id tech, uh, from id software about uh, Orion doing some crazy things like um, kind of spoofing motion vectors on video streams based on user input to kind of mask up to about 50 milliseconds of latency. Um, so basically your controller motions uh, would influence <laughs> stream, video stream decoding, which is like crazy stuff. Uh, I'd love to see the demo. I don't think anybody has seen the demo. Um, outside of uh, id software and partners i'd love to see that i'd love to see whether it's possible i mean we've seen um google were roundly berated for their um, uh, claims about zero latency gaming and new technologies that would enable that but you know go look it up there are patents about what id software did and you can take a look at those and of course those patents um owned by ZeniMax, which is now owned by Microsoft. So maybe we will see something there. It comes back full but, circle. And yeah, again, third so time this episode. That's probably why Neon5 thinks, hey, maybe this is a culmination of this technology. I don't think that's the case. I think you're just having a, a really good subjective experience there. But yes, I do want to do more on this. And uh, I am curious about this 3080 tier from NVIDIA. And uh, we will be circling back to that at some point. Uh, let's move on to the next question. 
Simple one this, Tom. Ryan James says, or asks rather, if a current gen game is played on a console and it's displayed on a 1080p display, will the game potentially perform better at this lower resolution than with a targeted but not entirely achieved 4K output during, I don't know what DR benchmarks are. DF benchmarks? DF, DF. DF benchmarks. (laughs) Must be. (laughs) Okay, must be DF benchmarks. I don't think I've ever heard DF feedback, DF feedback on this, but would love to know the answer. Thanks. And it's, well, there is no difference, right? No difference, no. Uh, These um, Xbox One and PS4 onwards uh, just use the output resolution in this menu for the main settings as just that. It's the output resolution and whatever the game decides to render at is uh, fixed and scales to the output resolution. So whether that's 1080p or 4K or 720p, it, it doesn't matter this generation or the last. But if you look at the PS3 generation, and I think you had experience with this, Rich, we did have differences, um, which was uh, Gran Turismo 6, I believe, and uh, God of War, am I right? I'm not sure about God of War off the top of my head, but um, Gran Turismo titles uh, were for XMSAA 720p and then that various flavors of 1080p at 1080p mode, right? Um, and um, there were games also that would run at 480p if you had 480p selected. Um, so that, yeah, I think the outlier in terms of Xbox One onwards is PS4 Pro, where if you did select 1080p, there were games that had modes that were only available by selecting 1080p on the dashboard, um, for which, which was hugely problematic because it basically locked people out of... Uh, performance modes depending on what display they had attached and there was no signposting of those modes if you did have a a screen that was capable of both like 4k or whatever so that that was why they added to that system level super sampling feature Uh, but that is the exception in the current generation maybe i'm wrong maybe we just haven't tested enough but so far nothing we've seen suggests that running a game that targets 4K at 1080p will result in anything other than downscaled, uh, super sampled image, and um, I think that's 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 the way forward. Anything to add on that, Alex? I'm uh, just the only thing I'm thinking about is back compat PS4 Pro games on PS5 may still have that same may still have that same behavior. I don't know. I suspect they would still do the 1080p 2160p switch depending on your system level setting, right? Uh, I guess that's something we should look at, really. Um, but yeah, that would kind of make sense. Um, next question. Uh, and I'm very, very sorry about the pronunciation. Uh, Satyajit uh, <laughs> Roy. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, Alex, one for you, I think. UE4DX12 HDR doesn't always work on PC. Clipped highlights, high contrast image. But DX11 HDR works. Example, mortal shell, the medium, etc. Is there any way a user could fix this? Have you encountered this issue? No, I have not, but I have not been doing a lot of HDR testing recently, so I'm a bit uh, out of the scene. Um, So two things I would recommend is to look into using Unreal Engine Unlocker and see there's a website on the internet. It's like Digi, I don't know what it is. You can just Google Unreal Engine 4 console commands, and there's a website that has a repository of every single one that's searchable. Um, 
And I what I would try on your end is to use Unreal Engine Unlocker, use this website to find any of the commands related to HDR, and see if you can play around with them at all. Uh, and if that doesn't get you anywhere, then I'll recommend looking at, uh, instead, perhaps using Auto HDR, uh, if you can, and or if not, uh, see how Special K, uh, which also has an Auto HDR-like thing, uh, interacts with the game as well in its DX12 mode, uh, because that one can actually have access to the HDR buffer, unlike Auto HDR, and maybe you can actually get a good image quality there. But I'm sorry you're having this issue. I have not looked into it in a while, and uh, maybe this will be <laughs> something that I look into in the future. I think uh, the, the website you might have been referring to is DigiLander dot libero dot it that's it that's it it's exactly and it. May, i mean there's this modern technology called google it's phenomenal <laughs> but but as you said you just google unreal engine console commands the first thing that comes up is uh, weirdly enough unreal engine 3 console commands no! uh, from the, from the, i mean if we actually refine our search to unreal engine 4 console commands yeah then uh, weirdly enough unreal engine 3 console commands still comes up as the first response but go down a bit and uh the second result is digilander.libero.it so yes unreal engine 4 unlocker which is a fascinating tool and um good stuff okay so yeah let's move on um oh my word uh question here from um kyle zayna with the limited Zayna. yes zayna with the limited availability of PlayStation and Xbox consoles continuing for the foreseeable future, do you think this will lead to both companies having nearly equal amounts of consoles sold throughout this generation? And if so, do you think this would influence game developer, uh, game development going through this generation? Uh, I, I do have to take issue with this because the sales data we have do does suggest that PlayStation is selling has more units out there than xbox it's difficult to say for sure because microsoft doesn't release um sales data but i'm pretty sure that is the case first question is definitely a no i don't think it's going to affect the parity in sales i think there's going to be if people are going to buy a playstation they're going to buy one when the time comes that they can buy one uh the development side though um i do think that has this situation has influenced it, and certainly looking at you know, discussing uh, cross-gen games like Elder, Elden Ring, and um, Guardians of the Galaxy, we're seeing uh, a knock-on effect with how perhaps some games will be more uh, inclined to be a cross-gen project than uh, than they would otherwise have been if they were had sold uh, gangbusters with uh, a lot of um, these components being available for production. But yeah, I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's that's an unfortunate situation that we can't really, you know, get around. These companies have to recoup costs and uh, they have to develop for the number of people that will be buying the console outside of, uh, I suppose, the exception would be uh, first party games where there's a vested interest in actually making something enticing exclusively for a PS5. But uh, yeah, I do think so. Uh, no, I don't think uh, companies will have an equal amount of consoles sold as a result. But yes, uh, game development has been influenced, sadly. In regards to maybe uh, what another thing that the person here was perhaps referencing was 
whether or not the amount of Xbox Series consoles being equal to the amount of PlayStation 5 consoles will have an effect on the version differences we see between future games. I don't know. This one's a hard one because we've heard of developers before that prefer the working environment on Xbox consoles or PlayStation consoles. And I don't actually know necessarily, uh, and it's probably a very developer-specific uh, thing about what versions get the highest priority in terms of development time. Uh, so I don't actually know about that, if that's what you're also talking about there, Kyle. If we look back at the last generation, I think it's fairly safe to say that PlayStation 4 Pro outsold Xbox One X by a considerable margin. Um, however, that didn't stop Xbox One X often getting the best multi-platform versions simply because of the power of the hardware, right? And I think if we uh, transpose that to the current generation, we have two very closely matched machines which are resulting in very closely matched platform uh, comparisons when we do them. Uh, exceptions being occasionally stuff like, you know, the uh, uh, what we just talked about with Elden Ring where there are some outliers which don't, don't quite make sense. And I think rather than it being the concept of sales figures uh, sort of dictating development effort, it's more the capabilities of the machine itself and the qualities of the development environment that are causing um, platform comparison differences or lack of them. And we are in a situation where, by and large, these machines are very, very close and they do much the same thing. They're built on the same architectures fundamentally. So I don't think that sales figures are going to adversely affect um, any given platform. But it's certainly an interesting question. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Got a couple left here. This one from Soren Balco. With the Steam Deck looming large and, up and an upgraded model of the Nintendo Switch possibly on the cards for 2022. Do you expect Sony or Microsoft to come forward with handheld versions of their consoles anytime soon? Alex? No. <laughs> Sony yeah. gave that up. They let Vita die. They just let it die. And they forgot about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Okay, that's all you've got to say on that. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, Tom? No. Yeah. Um, computer says no. <laughs> <laughs> for the same reason um, Alex says no. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Um, to present my points on this, uh, I think you could have a, you know, given a couple more process shrinks, possibly you could, I mean, actually thinking about it, several, you could possibly have an Xbox Series S that would work as a, um, as a sort of uh, handheld machine. I think that would be rather splendid. Uh, the issue here is that the amount of, development effort to create this machine, the fact that you would need to be using cutting-edge process nodes, and even then you may be asking developers to produce um, bespoke versions of games to run on a specific um, piece of kit like that. I think the way Microsoft and Sony will approach this is simply to wait until uh, we've got 5G connections and just to stream it. We're already seeing it on Switch, right? Where it's like, you know, Hitman 3, right? Okay, we want to put it on Switch, we'll stream it. It's not a great solution in the here and now, but that is the way 
forward. I think that is the where we're going to end up. And I'd love to see these handheld devices. Uh, in terms of Steam Deck um, and indeed the upgraded model of the Nintendo Switch, um, the Switch is a bespoke platform, right? It's, it's built for handheld play. It's built to um, be this kind of uh, interesting console hybrid. That's its, that's its USP. That's why it's there. It's not an additive in the way that's being suggested for Sony and Microsoft. Steam Deck is a slightly more interesting um, innovation in that it is an attempt to refactor PC gaming into something that is a bit more accessible and console-like. How successful that is going to be, whether it is actually the right move forward, remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I don't think either of those um, uh, models will cause any kind of rethink from Microsoft and Sony. They're, they're on the path that they're on, and uh, Valve and Microsoft have got their own ideas. And that's it. Final question, a really simple one. This, John... <laughs> Joe Tanko. I'm having real reading problems today, and I must apologise for that. I can't read the name Joe. It's That's Joe. Okay. Joe Tanko. Joe. His question. At Tom, recommend me somewhere to eat in Brighton. There's so, there's so many great places, honestly. You just turn um, turn the corner into the lanes and you're, you're faced with so many options. I mean, first... Personal picks, um, I went to a place called Lavash recently, which is a kind of, um, do these amazing kind of uh, sheesh uh, chicken wraps. And uh, yeah, they're incredible. They're oven-baked uh, bread wrapped and uh, with chicken and salad and just amazing. And uh, there's another place I recently got into because I, you know, to support um, a healthy diet where I can. It's called Love Fit, which does uh, a really good sort of salad. It's a, I think it's a super nutty salad with um, uh, sort of pomegranate seeds, blueberries, feta cheese, uh, couscous, hazelnuts, um, and uh, you can add chicken on the top if you uh, that way inclined as well. Uh, that's a, that'll go really well with a gym workout. Uh, so yeah, so, sorry, very very on the nose answers there, but yeah, that's good. <laughs> Those are genuine responses. Those are two that I will I will recommend highly. The somewhat bizarre end to uh, this week's DF Direct Weekly. Uh, I'm sure Alex could uh, sort of uh, recommend some fascinating Berlin disco discotheques. I, I got week. a couple on my sleeve here. <laughs> Please, please. Uh, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all from us for now. So thanks so much to Alex and Tom for joining me on this one. Uh, so yes, that's the end of DF Direct Weekly for this week. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. Ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications. I cannot guarantee that you will get an instant notification, but apparently they are. And uh, yes, uh, get involved. Join the DF Supporter Programme. Lots of great exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Tons of early access. Um, the ability to see DF Direct Weekly on, typically on Saturday. So, you know, several days before uh, the public release. All good stuff. And of course, you can pose your own questions for DF Direct Weekly. And um, all good stuff. Uh, but that's all from us for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining us for this one. Thanks for making it all the way to the end, if indeed you did. And yes, we'll see you next week. <laughs>